Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 49. Today's episode will be particularly beneficial for you if you're an agency owner looking to grow. I chat to Peter Hall, who I'll introduce shortly, about some common challenges faced by agency owners today when it comes to business growth. We also talk about the importance of looking at your team's skill set to make sure everyone's sitting in the right seats. And Pete and I also discuss a couple of things about account management, i.e. at what point in the agency's revenue growth does an agency typically employ their first account manager, and also the implications of having a hybrid account manager i.e. someone who plays the combined account manager and project manager role versus keeping the roles separate. Pete shares so many tips and lots of value during this interview. So I hope you come away with some ideas for your agency. Let's go over and talk to Pete now. So Pete, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome you to the show today. We've got Peter Hool, who is the co-founder of Cactus, the UK's leading agency growth consultancy. He's also acting CFO for a number of high growth agencies and obviously the author of the hugely popular book, Agency Nomics, which has just been updated for the second time. And you couldn't miss a newsfeed report of someone reading it and finding it hugely valuable. No, um, and we had um, we actually had complaints from people saying, how do I stop seeing this on my LinkedIn feed? It's really funny. <laughs> And it was actually Mark that said, I think it was one of his clients, and Mark said, well, perhaps you just need to log out of LinkedIn for a week then. <laughs> that <laughs> but, was I mean, it. You would be bombarded, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super, I'm going to make a joke of it, but I'm super pleased with how it's gone. And we're really humble about it, honestly. When we wrote the book, we honestly thought we'd sell like 500 copies because it's quite niche, obviously. But yeah, it just seems to have taken off really well. So it's nice to be able to say, yeah, I've written a couple of books, quite good for the the profile and always helps. I mean, it actually helps a lot with client stuff, but I've been interviewing finance managers as well recently for some of my clients. And in two or three recent cases, so we've bought your book and they're a bit like, it's starstruck, which does crack me up. Does it always surprise you when someone says something like that? Yeah, it really does. Well, listen, not only have you written the book, but the biggest UK-based community of agency owners is also of the same name, Agency Nomics, which is something that you run with the Cactus Consultancy. So, Pete, before we kind of dive into the questions, because I've got questions about the book and everything, would you mind just spending a few minutes just talking about you and how you help agencies? That'd be great. Yeah, sure. I mean, you mentioned the community. I think that's probably the starting point, really, is that We've been running Cactus now for around 10 years as an agency growth consultancy. And in the very early days, when Spencer and I left our full-time jobs after we'd sort of grown and exited our first business, we were pottering about, I would say, doing a bit of consultancy for friends and ex-colleagues who had agencies. And we had to find a way over the years to help smaller agencies who come to us and said, look, you've done this before. How do we do this? So we had the idea for a community a while ago, and we were looking at different platforms of how to do it. And we came across a platform that looked really strong. And about the time we were planning on launching was the beginning of the pandemic. So we were sitting there thinking, it's not quite ready to go, but people kind of need this at the moment. So we initially had planned, this is all really super honest, me telling you this stuff. Right. We initially had planned to, to charge a membership fee for it. But, you know, at the sort of April time last year, when things were looking a bit bleak for everybody, really, 
we thought we've just got to put this out there and make it a free for life community for agency owners, founders, directors. We had to put in some kind of rules in place around it. So it's got to be for people with three staff or more because freelancers and agency owners have very different needs in terms of the support they need. And it's really taken off. I always lose count how many members that we actually have, but I think it was 1,250 as of last week. And there's a backlog of 30 or 40 people a week trying to join. So yeah, that's been really, really good. I think it's very kind of self-sufficient. All the people within the community kind of help each other. And there's always something great going on in there. You have someone say, I have this problem. Does anyone know how to solve it? Or I have a lead that I can't do. Would anybody like it? Those kind of things. So yeah, it's been super helpful. Obviously we have the book as well that's come out. But my day job really, as you mentioned, was the agency CFO kind of work that I do for lots of agencies. And I've been a CFO for many different agencies over the years for the last 17 years probably 100 different agencies on and off during that period and also branching out doing a lot more of m a work now in terms of mergers and acquisitions for clients they're either looking to grow and sell or they're looking to buy agencies as part of their growth strategy and for a business spencer and i always laugh for a business that doesn't advertise itself really as an m a business we did 12 transactions last year and four of those were between september and december so i've been pretty busy with that as well I was going to say, that sounds pretty busy. And how many clients do you work on at one time in your role as CFO? Yeah, we tried to keep the number sort of kind of fairly low because we're there to support people. And as much as we can kind of plan out how the, the month, I mean, agencies will relate to this. You have retainers with clients in a set amount of time, but the support that's needed is kind of ebbs and flows. We kind of keep it down to about 10 on a kind of full-time basis. And we started a new service last year called our Mastermind Groups. I don't know if you've heard of those. Lots of people have spoken um, very highly about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, that's really good to hear. I mean, the idea came about that could we come up with a, a kind of training program which kind of takes someone on a two-year journey where we meet once a quarter face-to-face and we have a day session with them where we'll be covering different subjects, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. There's a chance for a kind of Q&A session as well. And we've got seven of those groups now across the business, so four of which Spencer and I run as a pair and three of which is Mark and Danny run as well. So yeah, they have to be fair, they have had good feedback and I really enjoy doing them. Well, it's a great way to leverage all your knowledge and expertise, but reach a wider audience, isn't it? And help more people. Yeah, totally. And then the other thing for me is, you know, I've not been that great with kind of public speaking or that kind of thing over the last few years as an accountant, probably historically a back office type person. So I've had to learn new skills in terms of standing up and presenting and do that kind of stuff. And presenting to 20 people in a group like that is quite a good size. I look around the room and I think there's a lot of friendly faces here. No one wants me to mess up. Everyone's on my side. They see me as kind of the expert. And that's been really confidence boosting for me doing that. And I've really started to enjoy them from going from two years ago as someone who would not sleep for two weeks if I had to do a public speaking appearance to now waking up and literally jumping out of bed thinking, I've got a new deck to present today. I'm really excited about sharing what's in it. I try and make them as humorous as possible as well, because sometimes finance can be a little bit dry. Yeah, sometimes that goes down well, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, you I love your humour. It is very dry, isn't it, your humour? Yeah. And people just want to know what's in your brain, don't they? You forget that. I think as the speaker, sometimes you get consumed with your own nerves. So, Pete, when agencies start working with you, like what are the patterns, like what are the things they tell you? I want to achieve 
this by working with you? What do they want to get out of it? Yeah, well, that's a really, really good question. I think if you'd have asked me that question maybe four or five years ago, I would have said they perhaps they would want to exit. They want to get to a stage where they grow their business from where it is now to a point where it's worth some value and there's a transaction. But I think that what I've learned over perhaps the last three, four years of working with more agencies is that actually they want to have a choice and grow their business to where they can either sell it or they can stay in it and get to a point and take it on to another level. Or perhaps they want to buy more agencies as part of their journey and do a kind of buy and build. You know, or they may want to recruit an MD and sit back in a chairman role and, and take some dividends. But it is about having that choice and getting to an agency of, you know, if you're four to five million in revenues and you've got good profits, you'll have a decent leadership team around you. And as the agency founder or founders, at that point, it gives you the opportunity to say, well, I could do something different here or I could could sell. But, you know, if you're kind of 3 million and 30, 35 staff, the agency is probably not at that size and scale where you're able to have that many choices about what you want to do ongoing. It just needs to be that slightly bigger size. Mm, brilliant. Okay. Well, that sounds totally understandable that people would want the option at least. And I suppose what yeah. you're doing is helping them systemize their growth so it's more steady and predictable. So... Yeah. I mean, when you first start working with an agency, I would imagine that there's lots of things that you can apply straight away for some really big wins to make them feel that they've got that momentum going. Can you share with us what kinds of things you would do at that stage? Yeah, I think in terms of the kind of practical first steps that we take, the first thing we would do is probably undertake a little audit of the agency in terms of where they're at, in terms of the systems and processes they've got, where their financials are and where their T's and C's are, how their pitch decks look, what their marketing approach is. And there are normally a load of things in there that you say, actually, because we're in quite a luxurious position when we go into these agencies, we can just come in like this and just see, looking down, are oh, we think there's something that needs to be fixed over there or something tweaked there. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is I help them kind of build a plan around what the next one, three and five years looks like. And a lot of people, to be fair, the size agency we go into will have a budget or a plan, but they don't really think about the longer term. And that's the bit that I'm quite good at is kind of saying, well, look, you're here now. If we apply certain growth metrics and I work with the clients to do it at a rate that they're comfortable at, this is the key thing, because some people think 20% is fast and some people think 50% growth year on year is fast. So it's just gauging where the clients are and saying, look, if you grew at this rate over the next few years, this is where your business would be in terms of revenues, profits, team size and structure. And then they can start to kind of visualize it. And that's kind of the first step really of saying, okay, well, you know, hopefully when Spencer and I or Mark and Danny go into businesses, they think, well, these guys know what they're doing. They say, okay, we've had some validation about some of the things that we are doing well. There's a few things here that are going to help us kind of shortcut the journey a little bit. And actually, you know, as a vision being set in terms of what are the stepping stones to get from A to B, if you like. And then do you encourage them to write that plan down? Has it got to be in a visual format? They've got to be really kind of... I would say it's horses for courses. There are some people are more visual learners. Some people were like a, a written plan. And there's two sides to a kind of growth plan, really. There's the numbers side, which obviously comes from me. And then there's kind of more documented plan or kind of, you know, these are the steps we're going to take to get from here to here. Or sometimes for some people, it's just a series of organograms, really, which basically says this year looks like that. Here's my current vacancies and... These are the gaps that I need to get to the next level. And the, the following year will look um, slightly different in terms of have more maybe account management roles, more project management roles, et cetera, and a certain number of fee earners to fit that kind of revenue. So it depends really on the client. 
in terms of you know what they want i found that over the years certain types of agency owners are more detailed than other types of agency owners so people who run um paid media or performance marketing agencies tend to be very heavily focused on detail and they'll have lots of spreadsheets and controls in their businesses and the more creative ones are less led by the numbers and more of a gut feel about where things are. I mean, it's a bit of a generalization, but you know, I think I've spoken to enough types of those business now to get a feel for where the different personality types are. You said that it's really important for them to feel comfortable with the trajectory of growth. Do you ever yeah. find yourself thinking they're missing out on an opportunity here if they don't plan to grow faster and do some encouragement? I do. And I've, I think I've got a very good example of working with someone where making sure they were comfortable at the start was important. So we did, a, I'll obviously remain nameless, but we did a workshop day with a, a client. It was about 12 months ago now, and they suddenly became a mastermind client. But this person was kind of very apprehensive about the growth rates. I think they had an impression that we would come in and start demanding 50% growth and, you know, spending all their reserves on getting people on board. And we just said, look, you know, whatever's comfortable for you, that's the most important thing. It's about building confidence. So this person set a modest growth chart. We agreed 20%. Actually, I had a call with him yesterday to say, well, how have you got on? He's achieved 30% in the first year, which means that he's almost probably two-thirds of the way through his second-year plan. So mm. he's almost accelerated his business growth by eight, nine months ahead of where he needed to be. And now he's saying, look, you were right. The confidence is there. It's been built. I can see how to do this now. But I think if we'd have pushed that person to have gone for the 30, 35% growth in year one, I think they would have probably pushed back and just said, I can't, I can't do this. It's too overwhelming. Mm. So it, that's one of the, the tricks I think that we have to kind of learn is, you know, understanding the person on the other side of the table and what's comfortable for them and going at the right pace to start with. You're right in some of those situations, there potentially could be a, a lost opportunity, but I'd like to think that we get to know people quite well. And we've got enough experience between us now to kind of coach better growth numbers out of them. Because sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. They Some of them might think 5% is good. Mm. Or equally, we work with people who come in and say, well, I want 100% growth year on year for five years. And we kind of have to say, okay, that's potentially possible. But do you know what that means? That yeah. means pretty hard. It probably means hiring two people a week. It probably means doing three acquisitions which are going to be tough. And of course, the smaller they are, the quicker they grow. Because if you're 100,000 turnover this year, you could get to 200,000 next year. So you could double in a year. But when you get to 750 a million, it's quite hard to go from 1.5 to 2 the following year. Do tend to slow down as the agencies get bigger. Interesting. And just selfish question, really. At what revenue point does the agency typically get to before they start hiring account managers? That's a really, really good question. I think from the organizational structures that Spencer and I kind of use during our processes and knowing the metrics that we know now about agency growth, it's probably around the five to 600,000 revenue mark, typically, before that kind of structure kind of works. Before that, it's probably the founders doing that role, or they kind of have a hybrid AMPM roles, we mm. kind of call them, where someone in the business is kind of project managing, or they're account managing, and or they're running the schedule and the resource requirements as well. But at that kind of 50,000, 60,000 a month in revenue mark, you can start to then separate out some of these roles. And if you've got someone in a role who is an AMPM, and we have, the, again, this conversation this week, where the first question I ask is, 
what do they like doing? Oh, they love chatting to clients. They're really gregarious. They're outgoing. They have lots of ideas. Their attention to detail could be better. And I'm a bit like, they're an AM project manager. Well, equally, you're the other side of the coin. We've got someone in an AM, PM role. They kind of hide from the phone, but they're really good at getting the Gantt charts out and stuff. I'm like, well, they're, they're a PM. So it's then splitting out those two things and playing really to everybody's strengths then in the business. But that point in kind of the growth journey is pretty hard because really you do need those two roles, but actually it's quite difficult to afford them both at the same time. You kind of have to decide, look at the people you've got, who have I got, play to their strengths and then try and grow to a point where you can take the vacancy on that you need. Great advice. And I'm glad you brought this up actually, because it's one of these ongoing things that even though... I deal with account managers with the title of big agencies of 5 million plus, they still have that hybrid role. So just in terms of, I mean, you've kind of already said it, but can you give me your views on the upsides and downsides of continuing to have a hybrid account manager PM role? Yeah, I think as I kind of sort of alluded to, I think they are probably two different personality types. So if you've got someone in a hybrid role, and let's assume it's 50-50 AM PM, that probably means that at least half the time they're doing something they're not that comfortable with on the whole. There are some people who can do these roles. I mean, I could probably account manage and project manage. But if you said to me, I had a gun to my head, I'd probably be the person that would rather stay in the office and project manage and not speak to clients and <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. So deep down, everybody's kind of one or the other. And I think that, again, it's about playing to the strengths. So the other thing is that, in my view, you've got account managers who are typically the sort of people that would say yes to a client. Yes, 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 we can do this. And the project manager is kind of typically the one that is not in a negative way. They say no, but they'll say it's going to cost more money or take more time. And they're not as quick to say yes. So if you've got a hybrid role with someone who's more of a PM, then you might find that your accounts aren't growing as quickly as they could do but everything that you do get is delivered nicely so you end up with longevity of client but perhaps a slow growing account on the other side of the coin you might have an am pm role that someone who's really good at growing the accounts but because the pm side is not as formalized as it would be with a full-time pm the delivery is not as good so they end up perhaps having a shorter lifetime of client so that's probably Does that sound too obvious? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Reality, isn't it? Honestly, it's not obvious to a lot of people. And I still have the same conversation. So I'm really glad that you've clarified it like that and talked about the upsides and the downsides. I think that's well put. Yeah. I think with the larger agencies, I think that they've obviously been established a long time. They're huge beasts in terms of the staff numbers that they've got. And they've probably got longstanding clients that are embedded in a certain way of working with large agencies. And, you know, it's difficult for them to turn the ship around. I mean, we're lucky in the agencies that we work with, you know, they're probably 15 to 50 staff. So when you go in with fresh ideas for process changes or improvements or structural changes, they're actually relatively easy to do. I mean, they don't happen overnight, but, you know, within three to six months, you could change an organizational structure, put in new processes, et cetera, and they work. Whereas I look at some of the bigger agencies and think that'll take years mm. if, if it happens at all. So I agree. Just out of interest, I was just while you were talking, I was thinking, do you cover every type of agency? Because obviously there's multiple types of agencies with different specializations. Have you probably covered most of them? Yes, I would say so. Yeah. And that's a question that we often get from prospective clients as well when they say, mm-hmm. You probably haven't worked with an agency like us before. 
And I, on the face of it, I'm saying, well, you know, enlighten me, maybe not, but then we find that we have typically. So yeah, I mean, our agency was a design and build business. We did a little bit of performance marketing as well in a separate business that we had. And in the early days, I would say we had similar businesses gravitate towards us. Oh, you have this type of business delivering these services. Can you help us? But the books, I think, has really helped people understand that actually we've got breadth and depth in all sorts of agencies. And when I look at my client portfolio now, there's you know a real mixed bag in there. You know, there's paid search, natural search, there's design and build, there's creative and branding, there's copywriting, there's you know, pure software development. So, you know, from everything. Same principles apply. So when you yeah. start working with an agency founder, what are some of the biggest challenges that they always tell you they have when it comes to wanting to grow? Oh, that's a really, really good one. I suppose it comes to three or four areas. It's normally not enough leads or we're not winning enough pitches. It's delivery, the structure of the team, that kind of thing. Finding and retaining people. Mm. And then my finances aren't where I thought they would be. <laughs> Is there a fifth? Uh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I come in. We can edit I'm it, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Say hi, that's where I come in. So, yeah, there's that when it's mindset, it's the other one as well, mm. I would say. And I say this as sympathetically as possible. It, it's not easy running any business. And I think agencies are particularly hard. If you're a, and I say this more about agencies where there's only one founder and they're the sole shareholder and director, they don't have business partners to share the stresses and strains with. And they end up having every problem come to them you know I work with some clients where there are three or four founders and one person is sort of managing people and culture and other words new business and one's client services and one's really strong in delivery and or finance and it kind of sort of works across the four or five of them that you know the load is shared whereas you know I can think of one person in particular I've had a call with this week where they just hit on all sides of everything people challenges cash challenges lead generation clients not happy etc etc and I do kind of sympathize with that. And so consequently, sometimes that leads to a bit of a slightly beaten up kind of mentality and a kind of negative mindset where it, oh, it's all a bit hard, isn't it? And, and stressful. And I do empathize with that. And so what we have to find is, you know, if we were to help you take some of that crap away, you know, is there a positive mindset person beneath that who can break through with some support and, and really grow the agency? So that's probably the biggest challenge because I think that if you aren't able to kind of sit back and say well I am a positive person like we can change things and can improve things then it's probably not worth working with somebody like us because we'll be making suggestions and observations and you've got to be open-minded enough to receive them digest them process them and then potentially put them in place to get the value from us and it's probably a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it because the more depressed you get or the more kind of negative you get it's going to emanate across your team and they're yeah. probably going to pick up on then there's going to be all team culture problems and yeah. things like that well, one of the biggest lessons Spencer gave me when we were at Blue Halo was because I was very young in my role. I was 25 or 26 when I joined Blue Halo. I was the FD by 27. We sold the business when I was 29. And it was my first FD role in a business. And I used to wear the stresses and strains. I'm the sort of person, you can read me like a book when you look at me. You know when I'm happy, sad, upset, you know, stressed, whatever. 
And he said to me, you just got to remember, you're in a goldfish bowl. Everyone's looking at you. And it's the same with agency founders. You know, if you're wearing all that stress, and again, so to make the point, I do empathize that your life is, is stressful, but you've got to find a way to have an outlet for dealing with that, you know, whether either a friend or mentor or some way of getting all this stuff off your chest, because you end up carrying it. And as you say, it then rubs off on the team. And one of the things that I had said to me when I was the FD at Blue Halo, I was bit sort of stressed going into the sale process and spent a lot of time in the office I slept in the office some evenings because the due diligence process was was crazy and someone either said well we're either selling or going bust look at Pete <laughs> well you're the money man so people do yeah, look yeah. at you and think about that all applies when you look at agency founders you can't be positive at all costs if there's problems to deal with deal with them we can't gloss over them but at the same time you've got to drive the vision through and be positive Mm. you know and set that for the rest of the team to follow when we were talking about problems and challenges that they come to you with the first thing you mentioned was leads like lack of leads do you once you've started working with them you've scratched your surface do you start to uncover is it their lack of prospecting is it the they've got the positioning wrong what's the reason typically that they don't have the lead i'll tell you why i laughed when i said it first because it made more sense but when you said what are the things they come to us? You know, the growth is leads generally. It's more clients paying more money, et cetera. But the reason I laugh is right now, as we're recording this, most people are fairly busy. They, you know, they wouldn't be able to take on more leads <laughs> to on resource. But over the last 10 years, it's typically been leads. I think the most common thing that I find when we go into businesses, and remember they're kind of of a certain size, a sort of 15, 20 staff, is they have no internal marketing going on so they have a founder who perhaps is more focused on business development as a new business and they might have some internal creative but that person or they might have a new business person in, in the agency that they're, they're kind of expected to bring in leads and take them all the way through and what they don't really realize is that sales and marketing are kind of two separate functions so for me The marketing function is someone who creates event content activity to drive leads, which a new business or sales team can follow up and drive through and close into an opportunity. Again, they're two separate skill sets. So people say, I haven't got enough leads, but then say, well, where's the marketing plan? And agencies are the worst people for doing their own marketing. They tend to be working on all their client stuff all the time. So that's probably the biggest thing. Sometimes, you know, the proposition isn't 100% clear. You know, it's often we look at businesses and we look under the bonnet and we say, well, you're doing this, but from the outside and it looks like you're doing something else or you're doing something really well that you're not telling people about. Or they tend to be, and this goes back to kind of the personality types in the business, but either really good at winning new business, but a bit crap at keeping it because their delivery processes are a bit shoddy or they're so good at looking after and retaining clients that they don't often find the time to go out and think to find new business because they probably think we don't really need that much new business because we keep our clients so happy. But it's about finding a happy medium, which is, you know, having enough new business coming in to keep the team excited and motivated and also some of those ideas to rub off on the existing clients, but, you know, not so much that the business is on fire or enough where actually you know, you don't do any new business stuff and you rely on your existing clients and over a three, four, five year period, they will all go because the average life cycle of the client, you probably know the exact number, but I reckon it's two to three years, probably on average at best. I was going to say something similar, so I'm glad we're aligned. 
Yeah. And you brought up a really interesting point that I hadn't really considered the boredom factor for the team. If you've just got yeah. the same clients and you're not refreshing the portfolio. So that's a super relevant point. We've mentioned a little bit about mindset. Where yeah. do you see that the most agency owners or leaders get in their own way? Well, that's a really good question. Getting in their own way. I think it's um, it's the not thinking big enough. That's when we said before about what we do when we first go in, it's creating the plan and showing them that actually they can achieve something bigger, better, well, not necessarily bigger or better. Some people don't want that, but you know they can achieve what they set out to do. Sometimes they get too internally focused and too wrapped up on what's going on in the business. Perhaps they're too wrapped up with a particular client or they're still working in the business or a lot of them still do the finances. The amount of times I've gone into relatively big agencies you know and I go into a board meeting and I say right well let's look at the finances for last month can I meet the finance manager can they come in and present and they'll say oh no we do them well here's the spread here's all our spreadsheets I'm a bit like oh okay so how's new business oh I haven't really got time for new business at the moment I'm like too busy well, doing the spreadsheets <laughs> yeah exactly so it's too, too inwardly focused I think sometimes and, and again this is relevant for a call I had this morning actually we're working with one person at the moment who's grown quite quickly and for whatever reason hasn't necessarily grown the infrastructure around him I was going to say at the right pace but at all so this person does the finances they do the marketing they do client services they do project management they literally do everything and they're about a million in revenues and it's killing them so the first thing we have to come in is say, right, you need a finance person, a marketing person, you need a project manager, an account manager. So that all that stuff's going on at the time. But he's in a space running his agency at the moment where it's quite an exciting space and there's lots of leads coming in. But he's been too internally focused on the clients and delivery to think about what his business should look like. Do you find that many people don't want to let go of the reins? I mean, is that a problem to actually employ someone else to take over yeah and you know let's be honest I've been in this situation myself it's scary okay mm. so you, you know you get to a place where you think well I'm pretty comfortable with what I do I've got some clients over here who are happy everything's ticking along and then you get to a place where a few more things happen and it gets out of control and it, it, it's scary to hand over you know, imagine you know you're an agency owner is it three four hundred thousand pounds at the moment you're probably running all of your clients they all know you really really well you probably win most of the pitches you go to because you're a lovely person, but you don't pitch that often because you're busy with the clients. And then someone like us comes in and says, look, you know, you need to start delegating some of this stuff away. You need a finance person to come in. And the first thing they say is, well, how do I know if I'm going to trust them? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, look, you've heard difficult stories about this stuff, but there's systems and processes we can put in. Or well, aren't all finance people just a bit boring and, you know won't be a culture fit and it's like well no but we can find someone who's a a culture fit and it's the same with you know if they need to hand over the reins of their clients to an account manager i get it it's not easy to do that but sometimes you have to kind of trust the process take a leap of faith you don't have to abdicate all responsibility in, in one go with everything if you're in a situation where you are hiring your first account manager or project manager and you're handing over then do it at the right pace. Build the mm. confidence between you because the person coming in doesn't want to screw up either because they're going to lose their job mm. or they're going to feel like they're going to lose their job. So you've got 10 clients, don't land them all on them on day one and say, see you later. You go, well, look, here's two or three you can help with now. Let's get up to speed with those and make it a gradual process. It's like any change, isn't it? It's better to be done over a slightly longer period of time 
and get it right rather than trying to rush it through and, and mess it up. Yeah, everything you were saying just there actually resonates because I've been looking at hiring people to help me with the training delivery. And I feel exactly the same. It's a trust thing. Lots of people probably go through the same thing, don't they? Um, Let's turn our attentions to the book, because as we said at the beginning, it's been so valuable. Everyone's talking about it. Honestly, it was like that my newsfeed was just with all of these pictures of the the book. I mean, so, I mean, huge congratulations because you've just launched the second edition. So a couple of questions, really. First of all, why did you write it and why did you update it? So the reason for writing, I can't actually remember the, the reason why we wrote it in the first place. And if you read the first edition of the book, we actually started writing it in about 2012. And I think Spencer and I were thinking initially that, we would. We used to go on lots of long car journeys. And on the way back, we'd have a, a, a writer ring us and say, okay, you've asked me to call you tonight to talk about cash flow, tax planning, blah, blah, blah. And I would just talk. And this person would write as I was, was driving. It was a way to kill the time. We were going to use it for content for LinkedIn and that kind of stuff. And, and this went on for about a year, I suppose. And it was about five years ago. And we said, we must have enough material written somewhere that could be a book. So I found the copy in an old Google Drive in an old email address. It's still there. There's like 170 pages of content. And we're like, yeah, there's a book here. This would be really good to get out and finish. So, you know, the idea of the book, I suppose, for anybody that writes a book really is to kind of share the knowledge that you have and the experience that you have with, uh, you know, as many people as possible. Uh, I think for us, it's, I often joke Perhaps I shouldn't joke about these things sometimes because I've got a bit of a dry sense of humour, but the book is £20. There's definitely more than £20 worth of value in there. And after paying Jeff Bezos to print it and market it for us, Spencer and I get a pound each. Is that all? Yeah, so we're helping Jeff with his rocket business at the moment. That's the way that we have it. Fun that. Wow. So it hasn't been a way for us to make money. It's not about that, but it's a great way for people to have a first touch point of who are Spencer and Pete? What do they do? What do they know? And the first book, I think, you know, we, we were proud of it, pretty, you know, pretty pleased with it. But there are a few things that happened over the last 12, 18 months. We thought, you know, we probably should update the book now because some of the things aren't as relevant. In the first edition of the book, we had a chapter in there about, you know, how it was perhaps important to have a London presence, you know, for international clients. Everyone knows where London is. And if you're slightly more regional as we were as an agency, that would be useful. But the pandemic put a torpedo into that. So we thought we'll update the book. So there we are, booked out, I think, 10, 12 days, early part of this year. Won't take too long to update the book. <laughs> ends up, once you get into it, it ends up being a total rewrite because you suddenly start reading what you've written and thinking, I wish I'd said this as well or added this. And we've learned this since we last wrote the book. So it's now 50 or 60% longer than it was before. And now I'm really, really, really pleased with it. Wow. I think I found the first, or I said both, well, perhaps Spencer more than me, Spencer found found it difficult doing the first edition of the book I I did as well to a certain extent but the second time I really enjoyed it I can't really put a finger on why that was I think one of the reasons is perhaps that there wasn't so much pressure for us to kind of do it in order Mm. I remember writing the last one feeling a bit like we've finished chapter one let's move to chapter two and chapter three and this one was a bit like look we've got a week this week we probably need to do these four chapters where do we want to start today what do we feel like talking about so then you go into it in the right mindset of something had happened the day before that triggers a thought process that you just think, well, I'm going to get that down on paper. So, yeah, so just it just felt much better this time. We had more support around us as well this time because having been through it before, you learn 
that you know even with two proofreaders last time there was still loads of typos and anyone with a, a copywriting business was messaging us just saying it's, it's really bad it's littered it was um, but this time we were like okay we're gonna get you know proper typesetting done proper copy editing done proofreaders etc etc so that was learning the lessons from the first time because normally you just think how hard it can it be just got to upload it to amazon and put a cover on it and it will sell that's a bit more than that absolutely i mean you've shared some really good tips actually which i think is genius that you got someone to phone you and you just spoke to them and they transcribed i mean what a brilliant idea anyone listening to this that's thinking about writing the book that's a fantastic leverage of time isn't it absolutely yeah I mean for us it was dead time I mean in the the early days we had clients in Liverpool Manchester Birmingham and yeah sometimes we went on the train but sometimes it was just easier to drive and then you end up with that time after the meeting where you think I've got a four-hour journey home you know there's only so much Ken Bruce you can listen to on the radio or whatever what am I going to do and this was a great way to utilize the time and we've worked with a couple of clients recently who have said, look, you know, I think there's a book in me. I've got some really good content. And they found it hard over the last 18 months because we don't necessarily have that time anymore, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. We've kind of got the impression that we've got more time, but actually I think we've got less. Mm-hmm. Because the time we had before, you know, the driving somewhere and the driving back used to be, for me, a bit of wind down time. I'd do some phone calls on the way there, listen to a bit of music on the way back. And now that time is taken up with, you know, we're busy, there's more client work, you know, we're doing writing content, podcasts, et cetera. So finding your way to do that is challenging, but it can be done. What do people tell you is the most kind of useful part of the book? Do they tell you that? I don't know. I think to me, they might say, oh, the cash flow bit's really good. Because it's you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're saying, oh, the leading the marketing stuff's really good. I think typically the average response we get is, there's some really good stuff listed through it. A lot of it I already knew, but it was a good refresher or validation of what I'm already doing. Plus, I picked up three or four tips. Occasionally, we'll get someone who'll say, I'm on my second copy because I thumbed through the last one so much. There were so many notes and post-it notes in it. I've wow. had to buy another one. So that's nice to hear. And then occasionally, we get the odd two-star review, <laughs> which is like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They really wound, though. He's what? like, oh, this is really upsetting. I really take it personally. But I've learned not to. You've got to, haven't you? Because there's always going to be one. There's always going to be a handful of people. that You can't appeal to everyone, can you? Exactly. We've sold 7,500 copies in three years now. So yeah. it would be amazing if they all found it incredible, wouldn't it? You know, well, it would be a bit suspect if there wasn't any negative deliveries. Exactly. Let's put it like that. Pete, yeah. could you spend a few minutes talking about how you help agencies sell? Because there might be agency leaders listening to this that think, you know, that's actually something that I want to do. Can you just yeah. give us a few highlights on how you typically help agencies? Because you mentioned how many you'd helped just over yeah. the last year alone. Yeah, I think, I mean, to start the conversation with, my process is probably a little bit unusual because most of the people I work with, I form strong relationships with them because we're going through what is a, a stressful time and I end up giving a crap about them, their families and, and their businesses. So the feedback I often get from my M&A work that I do is Pete was really there for me. Like oh. it's a difficult and stressful process. I'd never done it before. I hadn't realized that there was going to be so much pressure or information needed I've done it a few times before. So for me, it's water off a duck's back. I can go in and say to the client, because most of them, even if you're in 
experienced agency owner, if you've sold a business before, then you are definitely in the minority. Nobody normally has done this process before. And you get to hear anecdotal stories from other people. And normally they're, oh, yeah, it's really easy. And I made loads of money and I walked off into distance. That's normally bollocks because the reality is it's normally stressful, difficult. You end up feeling a bit deflated at the end of the process, even though you've got a big check. I've never celebrated a deal because everyone's too knackered at the end. Mm. They just go, oh, great. So I set the expectation of people. You know, it's it's going to be hard, but there's a process we're going to go through and I'm going to be here to support you. So it depends on where I am in the process. Sometimes I've been wheeled in at the negotiation phase. Sometimes it's at the due diligence phase, but a lot of the time it's right at the beginning where people say, we're sort of getting to the size now where we're thinking about selling the agency. First of all, what's it worth? So that's the first kind of question. Second of all is, what do I need to do now to maximize the value? Protect the team is something that often comes up because I think if you're a founder listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, I want to maximize the value. But you're also probably thinking you do give a shit about your team and you want to look after them. And if you're an employee listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, surely the agency owners don't really care. They've sold, they've got their yacht, the Ferrari, whatever. That's the impression they get. But most of the transactions that I go into, the first thing, people say is I want to make sure my team looked after there has to be a cultural fit these people must be protected in the business because they're on short notice periods I need to make sure they're on longer notice periods that kind of stuff so it's coming up with all those things and then taking them through that kind of end-to-end process so that was a bit long and rambly wasn't it but that's no, kind not of at all I was you had me hooked own. yeah I mean the two transactions before Christmas the two bigger ones one of them I met him randomly I mean he only lives about 50 miles from me but I met him at South by Southwest one year and we got chatting, became good friends, played golf with him occasionally. And he rang me September, October last year and said, I'm thinking about selling. I've had three or four people, you know, sniffing around isn't the right kind of phrase, but interested in the agency. Can you help me? And I said, yeah, okay. So I helped him with the negotiation, helped him with the deal structure, helped him with all the legals, helped him get the due diligence across I suppose the biggest win for him there and this is quite a complicated process to kind of explain on a a podcast but the profit in your accounts isn't normally the profit you sell for there are adjustments that have to be made to that profit to make it presentable to the acquirer and if he's listening he'll know exactly who he is but he had his partner on the payroll he put a few foreign holiday trips snuck the flights through and this kind of stuff and I said you need to tell the other side this because you've deliberately suppressed your profits this year because you put some personal expenses through, which aren't going to be recurring next year. And he said, oh, isn't this going to look really bad? I'm like, well, no, you've paid tax on it all. It's fine. This is custom and practice for a business owner in the UK. This is what people do. So readjusted the profits. We found about £120,000 worth of costs that were non-recurring, which added £1.1 to the value of his agency. So he loves me now. God, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So we're still really good friends. Um, surprise, surprise. And the other um, business I sold was, you know, people I've worked with for 10 years, you know, and the real realization of their dreams, the business that when I left Blue Halo, I set up my own accounting business. And this is the bit between when I left there and joined Cactus. And they were one of my first clients. And one of the guys that ran that business worked with me at Blue Halo. And their turnover when I joined was about 100,000 a year. And we sold it was seven million. I've been on that journey with them for 10 years as their firstly their accountant. I used to go in once a month and do their payroll and their VAT returns. 
and then as their CFO. Wow. So they're all important, but that one was super important to me because three people that I'd worked with for a long time, you know, I was like, yeah, I've got to take this seriously. I've got to deliver for these guys, you know. That's phenomenal growth trajectory from 100,000. Lovely that you were part of the whole journey. What yeah. was their secret to successfully kind of consistently growing? Well, that's a really good question. I think we had the one, three, five and seven year plan with them. And there were years where they were slightly ahead and years where they were slightly behind, but they stayed the course mm. with the plan. There were a couple of times we had to make course corrections in terms of you know, what we were doing with regards to our new business approach or that the overhead had crept up you know, in comparison to where the business growth was, but predominantly it's sticking to the plan. And we actually looked at this about six months before the business sold. We, we said, well, let's get that old document out that we used to refer to, the jokingly, the one, three, five, seven year plan. And I think we must have been about one or 200,000 pounds out at the end of seven years versus where we thought we'd be in terms of revenue. Wow. Well, that's probably luck. <laughs> but it's, Having a plan and having people externally looking at you and supporting you and holding you accountable, I think the proof is in the pudding there. And I bet you there's agency owners listening to this thinking, wow, you know, I've been struggling to make any traction with my growth. And maybe it's now time to invest in some external help to kind of yeah. help me keep keep me you accountable. Touched on it there. It's the accountability. You know, I mean, we often ask people when we first work with them, you know, how do you want us to be? Because some people want drill sergeants. We've had feedback before where you haven't bollocked us enough. And we're like, well, we've only known you four months. And like, <laughs> you've got to just go straight in for the, you know, and, and some people find our approach a bit too sharp sometimes. So it's just, under, you know, we had feedback once from a client. I think we just signed them off. We'd met them for uh, lunch. They'd done their Jeep DD on us. They'd appointed us. And then one of them rang and said, I just need to give you this feedback. He said, due to the way I was brought up, I need to receive feedback in a certain way. And that was, but he's obviously had some challenges around parenting, that kind of stuff mm -hmm. when he was younger. I was like, I really appreciated that phone call because not knowing that, the relationship would probably have ended fairly early on mm. because the other three were just saying, give me the feedback. We just want to know what we want to crack on and just tell us how it is. And the other one needed to hear it in a different way. So it's, you know, finding out those things sometimes is super useful as well. Fair enough, isn't it? It's that open communication. So, Pete, I just wanted to squeeze in a couple more questions. I want to kind of ask you your opinion on kind of the future of agency growth. You know, like where do you see the opportunities for independent agencies in the future? And do you see anything changing? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, in terms of the opportunities for independent agencies, I think the biggest opportunity they have is that and I say this with the greatest respect, if you, in comparison to the network agencies, they're all relatively small and nimble and they can pivot into new service lines, new geographies, new sectors quite easily. So that's their big advantage. The thing that everybody needs to watch out for is finding talent right now. I mean, it's sort of never been that easy, no. but I think it's harder than ever at the moment. Everybody's busy. Nobody's got enough staff. It's difficult to find people out there on the market so talent attraction and retention is probably going to be the number one challenge that independent agencies face over the next, I'm going to say five years, because I think the situation we're in now in terms of how much work there is out there and how few people there are to do it in the UK, to solve the problem we're in today, you probably would have needed to have planned for it five years ago to start pushing younger people into the sector. 
getting them trained up onto apprenticeship programs or into the right courses on university to come out the other side of that with two or three years experience that should have happened five years ago and it didn't so i think it's going to take a little bit of time to unravel this i don't know that's quite a big statement isn't it well i'm shocked that you think it's going to carry on for five years i mean that's really valuable for anyone to know i would be happy to be proved wrong because it's going to make my life easier as a non-exec for five years if it doesn't happen but i think the people that are really and i say really focusing on retention and attraction when i'm really doing it like i work with a client this week who's really doing it like he's got someone in to look at his people and culture and do a bit of an audit and they've said you need to sharpen up here here and here and actually go beyond what i'm saying he's doing that in his agency you know just seems like what's the and he looked and it's, it's always horses for courses isn't it in terms of benefits he's got a slightly more mature team in that they've maybe got families or children at a university given the service he's got and he's like okay well, what's important to these people more enhanced employer pension contributions, the healthcare side, death in service policies. Some of these things don't sound very exciting, but what this owner is saying to his team is, I care about you and your family. And if anything happens to you, we're going to look after you. And that's important to those people. So it's just using that as an example of his younger people, what's important to them? Well, it's providing them a place where they can learn and get more experience and feel supported in that way. And, you know, showing them a career progression path that means that at some point they may be able to have their own homes. And you know, there's opportunity if they want to run teams of people, if they want that kind of experience, it's providing those opportunities. So those are the big challenges for me. It's when well, you jokingly said earlier, you know, what are the four or five things? Sorry, I was joking about it, wasn't I? The four or five <laughs> things I laugh when I said lead generation, because when I look at the, the 10 years period that I've been doing this as a non-exec, that's been the number one thing. But in the last 10 weeks, it's been people. So but I don't think that's going to going to change. change. I really don't I think it's going to be tough out there. Well, so the agencies that win really are going to look after their own people. And in terms of attracting new people to their team, any tips or anything that you've seen that's working really well? Well, I think that's a whole podcast in itself I have to say but it comes down to one word which is culture the ones mm. with the best culture are the ones that retain and attract the best talent and to steal a phrase I heard from someone or saw somewhere I'd love to be able to credit them but it's culture is not the Friday free lunch or the table tennis table in the office it's how people act with each other and treat each other you know I've got one client where they've grown oh, three four hundred percent in four or five years but the culture hasn't only diminished, it's improved over that four or five years. You know, they're mostly remote now as mm-hmm. a business. They've got an office that seats 60 people. They probably have 12 to 15 people in a day on average. They accept that. That's fine. But they have events that bring the team together. And they've adapted in a way to support everybody in the business. So those things have become so important over the last year. The one, the businesses that sort of seem to be struggling are the ones that they've adapted from the technology perspective, but not from the cultural perspective of keeping people together. I think that's what agencies are normally about. They're normally very collaborative, people-based businesses. I mean, there are some teams that, you know, can be siloed with headphones on. Perhaps if you're a developer, that's very easy to be that way. But, you know, the other end of that business, someone's doing some kind of what they call discovery sessions at the beginning. And I've seen those things happening and it's five, six, seven people in a room just chucking ideas about and it's very difficult to do that remotely. And if you haven't got a great culture, 
the people that do it successfully obviously get on very well together and work well with each other because they feel supported, trusted, etc. So mm, great advice. And I know having worked in several agencies myself throughout my life, you get these toxic environments of agencies where it's a sweatshop or there's bitchiness or you don't feel supported. So actually now the the power is in the team, isn't it? And where they yeah. choose to yeah. be. So you've got to make it attractive enough and comfortable enough for them to want to thrive. Those situations arise from either come from the top, if I'm being really blunt, or panic recruiting is another one where people don't build up the pipeline of talent and culture and they don't end up recruiting against their values. And they end up with one or two, well, I, I hate to use the phrase, but can't think of a better one, bad apples turning up. You know, and it's like the way that I imagine it is if, you know, when you do a good job, your client will tell one person, but when you do a bad job, they'll tell 10. And it's a bit like that with with team members. You know, it's one bad team member with the, not the right attitude can infect 10 other people to the point where they're unhappy. So true. Pete, this has been fantastic. You've shared so much value, so many tips. I'm sure people have been taking notes. We've covered most of the things I wanted to cover. So thank you. I just want to say huge thank you. I'm just trying to squeeze you dry because I've got a couple of minutes. But... No, no, that's, that's <laughs> fine. And I, and I, look, I, don't, I love being interviewed. Do you? When I do my own podcast, I find it really, really difficult because I'm trying to listen to what they're saying and absorb it. And you're probably finding the same thing here because it doesn't always go to plan. You've got your questions and then you they say something brilliant and you have to kind of do that, give them the space to do it, kind of listen to Spencer, what he's doing as well. And I sort of feel a little bit like, well, I have felt like a rabbit in the headlights with it a little bit. I'm getting more comfortable with doing them. But when I've been interviewed, I've just found it. I'll just go, well, I can talk. So someone's interested. Brilliant. Oh, no, I'm really glad that you feel comfortable. Audience. <laughs> I feel a bit the same, honestly. And it, like you said, it takes practice, doesn't it? And I'm, I haven't even got started, really. I've done 46 episodes now. And do you know what? I had some good feedback, which I'm sure you have as well. But I also want the bad feedback as well, or the constructive feedback. And yeah. someone said to me, and I'll give him a shout out. Oh, but maybe I shouldn't. No, I won't. I won't say his name. I said, tell me what you really think. And he said, sometimes you come across as a bit insincere. Like after people give you an answer, I say, oh, that's fantastic. That's great. And I'm a little bit over the top. And it's hold back, did they? No, but you know what? I thank them, Pete, because I said, listen, no one is likely to tell me that. And if I don't know, I can't get better. And, you know, when I'm listening to a podcast, I just want the value, the tips, the golden nuggets. I don't like the fluff and I like to hear the guests. So I try to do what I like. How have you found sort of interviewing people? Well, actually, from my side of the coin, we've probably done 50 podcasts as Agency Phonics. But because of the M&A stuff that was happening late last year, I was missing a few of them. So I've probably been on about 20 of them. So I sort of don't feel match fit sometimes when I get to them. But we had the last one we did. I remember Spencer saying before, he just said, it'd be good if you lead this one today. And I was like, okay, this was about an hour before. So I'm kind of thrown into it, pulled some questions together. And luckily I knew the guests really, really well. So that works, works okay. And I think we had a great conversation. And the feedback on, and this is the, this, this the whole thing about what I said about public speaking earlier. It's the little wins, the confidence building stuff. And there was some good feedback online on the, because it was a LinkedIn live thing. You can see, see the comments. And then I interviewed a finance manager for this. He was a client, this person, about a week later. And the finance manager said, I just want to say, uh, first of all, I've bought the book. 
for my well, okay, ten brownie points. Yeah. But but for second of all, I was super excited about you know speaking to you. I've gone through the process. And I'm really excited about joining this business. But now I've heard the podcast the other day with you, Spencer, and this person. Effectively, you you three are the board of this business, and your approach to looking after people and some of the challenges you've been through. I'm desperate to work here. Wow. Okay, I love. I really love that. And then the same client then emailed about an, another week later and said, oh, one of my clients just watched it and loved it. And so that's the bit that I love. I mean, sometimes they go wrong. At the beginning of that one, for example, we do the, you've done the LinkedIn Live. I haven't. No, I've signed up for it, but ages ago, I didn't do it. I just thought. And there's a screen at the beginning where it's got the music playing. It counts down 30 down to, and then it, you're live. And then I was there with the guest and it went live. And then Spencer wasn't there anymore. <laughs> So I was like, oh, Hello, oh I think live, hi, yeah, episode 53, I think. And then Spencer appeared and just went, oh, sorry, I went to close down some windows and just turned Zoom off. <laughs> it just wasn't Brilliant. there anymore. Oh, yeah. God. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, well, just these things happen. Um, Caitlin can cut it out afterwards. It was all fine. But yeah. it does make laugh. It, it, it sort of teaches you to be, you've got to care about these things and how you come across, but not be too uptight about it. No, and I think audio is quite intimate, isn't it? I like I listen to people when I'm on my walk, and you actually feel like you know them because you're yeah. you're hearing their voice, you're hearing their intonation, what they say. So it doesn't yeah. surprise me that they said that to you because they could see that the chemistry that you have as the whole Cactus team, and it's kind of the place you want to be. I feel the same way. I want to be part of it. So it's lovely. It's a great yeah. channel for you. Yeah. So listen, Pete. I just want to say a huge thank you. That has been fantastic. So relaxed and. You just dropped so many knowledge bombs. So thank you so much. If someone's listening to this and they think, I love what Pete's talked about, the mastermind, working with him, you know, as the team, I want to sell or I want to buy, anything like that, where is the best place for people to get hold of you? I would say LinkedIn, probably the best place. I'm on there every day. We get lots of messages and stuff all the time. But yeah, Pete Hall, H-O-O-L-E, agency, CFO, focusing on M&A and growth, I think is my tagline on there. To be fair, there aren't many PE halls on LinkedIn. So if it was John Smith, then be struggling. But yeah. Well, I'll make sure that I put the link in the show notes anyway. So Pete, cool. thank you so much. This has been brilliant. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Pete. Don't forget to grab a copy of the book, Agencynomics. I really don't know any agency owner who hasn't said it was a brilliant read. And if you're an agency owner and you want more certainty on your forecast when it comes to existing client growth, or you're an ambitious account manager who wants to know how to grow a client account without being pushy and salesy, then my nine-week account accelerator program might be for you. You'll come away with a client-centric system and repeatable approach to client growth. So if that sounds like it's interesting to you, drop me an email at jenny at accountmanagementskills.com and we can see if it's a good fit for you or your agency. I look forward to seeing you on the next one.